This is the American Psychological Association's Division 15 podcast series on emerging research in educational psychology. My name is Jeff Green. Thanks for joining us. So my doctoral degree is in educational psychology, and I care a lot about the field, where it's been, and where it's going. That's why I so greatly value texts like the Handbook of Educational Psychology. If someone just starting their graduate work in the field wanted to get a good sense of the current topics and findings and research directions in the field, these handbooks are a great place to start. In addition, these handbooks offer an opportunity to inform more critical views of the field. Readers can and should ask, what are we missing? Where have we transgressed? And what needs to change for the field to be more just, more effective, and more relevant? These are important and unfortunately often overlooked questions, which is why I'm so grateful that Paul Schutz and Christian Muse took such a progressive approach to co-editing the latest edition of the handbook. They've asked handbook chapter authors and asked themselves to be comprehensive yet also critical about the field they care so much about. I'm excited to talk to them today about the handbook, their experience editing it, and the field in general. Paul Schutz is a professor emeritus at the University of Texas at San Antonio and an affiliated member of the Department of Educational Psychology at the University of Arizona, which occupies the unceded lands of the Tehaunau Uwadam and Pasquayaki peoples. His research interests include emotions in education, teacher identity development, race and ethnicity in educational contexts, and research methods and methodologies. He is a past president of the American Psychological Association's Division 15 in Educational Psychology and a former co-editor of the Educational Researcher, Research News and Comments. His recent publication titles include Teachers' Goals, Beliefs, Emotions, and Identity Development, Transactions Among Motivation, Emotion, and Cognition, Blurring the Lines, Where Will Michelle Go to College, Culture and Context in the Study of Motivation, and How to Read, Evaluate, and Use Research. Krista Muse is a Canada Research Chair and James McGill Professor in Epistemic Cognition and Self-Regulated Learning at McGill University. She is an APA Fellow of Division 15 and is ranked in the top 2% of all scientists in the world based on citations and is ranked as the 11th most productive scholar in educational psychology. She examines the interplay between epistemic cognition, emotions, and self-regulated learning in the context of mathematics and science learning. She examines how self-regulated learning develops and designs interventions to support self-regulated learning, epistemic cognition, and emotion regulation during learning. Today, we're talking about the new fourth edition of the Handbook of Educational Psychology, published by Rutledge, which Krista and Paul co-edited. So, Paul and Krista, first of all, thanks for the ton of hard work needed to co-edit the handbook, and thanks for talking to me about it today. Thank you, Jeff. Yes, yes. So first, I'm curious, like, how does it feel? You've reached the end of what has been probably a really long editor editorial journey. How are you feeling? Well, for me, this started back in 2017, and it's kind of been in the background and part of what I've been doing since then. So it's been kind of like a friend who keeps you up at night. And <laughs> <laughs> But I feel fine because I it's you know, it's a book and I've done other books before I edited books. So there's, there's, mm -hmm. it's coming to a close and then we'll move it on to the next editor for the fifth edition. <laughs> and for me, it's, it's kind of the opposite. This was my first major edited book. And I obviously had the pleasure of working with Paul and his guidance was really critical along the way. And I'm sad that it's over, even though it's been since 2017, I feel like there's so much more to do, and I really want to see educational psychology and research in educational psychology progressively move toward an educational psychology that is for the greater good. So mm -hmm. I feel like it's not over and want to continue on, which sounds 
completely the opposite as to what Paul just said. Sounds like, Christo, you're up for the fifth edition. We'll write that down. (laughs) (laughs) So you two really did a lot of work just to even prepare and get ready to edit the handbook. I mean, it seems like you really scrutinized kind of past editions. You tried to really understand the history of the field and the handbook in particular. And I'm curious about what you learned when you looked at previous versions of the handbook and how what you learned maybe influenced the ways that you thought about co-editing this version of the handbook. So one of the things that I wanted to do, reflecting upon the previous handbook and where we are today, I did sort of a, an analysis of the recommendations that the authors of the afterword from the third edition, what their recommendations were and to what extent was there any kind of uptake with these recommendations. And what we really found was not a lot has changed since the last handbook, even though it was seven years ago that the last handbook was published. So some Mm -hmm. of the same recommendations that we see in the current handbook had already been previously highlighted, but I really do think that there is more of a push in this handbook with Mm -hmm. regard to the themes that we identified across the 29 chapters compared to the previous handbook. And there are certainly lots of new content and new ideas that are being presented in the new handbook, which I think Mm -hmm. will collectively push the field forward. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I remember the the first edition, and it had a big impact on me, the Berliner Kelfi first edition. It came about early in my career as an assistant professor, and it it just seemed like a massive book, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. so it had it had a lot of weight for me. And so I've got I've gotten to see all these come out in my time in in educational psychology, but that one really impressed me. So that's where I started, and I think it's been a good good experience. And as Krista said, I think we've uncovered some new ground. And again, a lot of this came out of working with like Lynn and Eric and Pat and Phil beforehand. We had an advisory board Mm -hmm. who helped us to think about topics and things like that. And that really helped get us set up and on the way. So give a big thanks to that advisory board. It was full of, you know, there's 19 of them and there are former EP editors, former handbook editors, former AERJ editors and things mm-hmm. like that. It was a board that I couldn't get on because they were, they were all <laughs> much better scholars than I was. So it's like, Fortunately, we were putting the board together, so I made the cut on getting involved. In it. Uh, I give a lot of props for them. They helped us to get it going. And the other group that really helped us were external reviewers. We used over uh, 120 external reviewers over the years. Mm-hmm. And so they helped us a lot to frame what the book looks like now. Yeah, it's such a collective effort, but I do think, you know, Paul, I'm going to push back on you a little bit. I think you were chosen with Krista to co-edit this handbook for a reason, a very good reason. So I'm glad that you were both leading this charge. And I guess what I'm curious about is, and Krista, you mentioned this, that you felt like there wasn't as much progress, maybe as you might have expected, given that some of these same issues were coming up in the afterwords or the codas to previous handbooks. Like, What kinds of things haven't we made enough progress on in the field? Well, I think looking at what research has been done over the past seven years since the previous handbook, some of the recommendations from the authors of the afterwards suggested that we do a lot more design-based research, for example, more situative Mm -hmm. research, 
more research done in the classrooms, more research that takes culture and context into consideration. Those were all recommendations with regard to moving forward. Also a lot more work that includes issues of race, gender, class, equity. When we look at the research that has been done so far, I mean, Francesca Lopez has identified this as being a huge issue in educational psychology, wherein only 1% of the research that has been done looks at marginalized groups. And so that's something that I think Mm -hmm. wasn't a huge recommendation then, but still was highlighted and not taken into consideration moving forward. I think some of the other things that that came up were the replication crisis, which Paul and I have discussed at length with regard to if you take context and culture into account, we can't expect replication. So things mm-hmm. like this, I think, that were recommended, but that we're still making those recommendations seven years later in the chapters of the handbook today. Yeah, and that's helpful to hear that these are the things that we need to focus more attention on. And it seems like you have tried to position the handbook to help the field with that. So I know that you have chapters on things like cultural and situative and systems approaches, et cetera. Can you talk to us a little bit about some of the chapters that for you are ways to push the field forward and are focusing on things that maybe haven't been as emphasized in the past and that we need to emphasize more in the future? Well, I I think there are a couple of areas that emerged from the process, and Krista rightly mentions those. I mean, we now have chapters on cross-cultural research, Mm -hmm. critical race theory, Mm -hmm. as you said, systems theory, things like that. We also opened up a whole section on emerging technologies Mm -hmm. that I think is going to be interesting, especially with, you know, the current interest in AI and all the other things that are coming out now. Mm -hmm. So I think we've opened up some areas, but we also, you know, went back to what we called sort of the foundational areas of ed psych as well, like motivation, emotion, Mm -hmm. beliefs, self-regulation, and things like Mm -hmm. that. So, and even some of the more foundational areas, the authors, I think, did a good job of pushing out into some new directions, looking at race and other things, as well as situative perspectives. So we wanted to get authors who hadn't been involved in handbooks before, much like what Lynn and Eric did. So we have some new voices in there going over some of these topics that have been, you know, mainstays in previous handbooks. Yeah, and I think that's a great way to approach it. So there's there's great value in a focused chapter on, you know, for example, women of color feminism, which is one of the chapters in the book. It's also really helpful to have all the chapters try to address some of the issues that seem to be really salient and in need of focus now and going forward. So I like that you split up both of that. As you think through the the chapters that you solicited and the people that you brought on board to write those chapters. Can you talk to us a little bit about what are the themes or the buckets in the handbook so people have a sense of what it covers? Well, I think like Paul suggested, we have some of the more foundational, traditional chapters on motivation, emotion, belief, belief change, self-regulation, but also some other chapters that focus on taking situative approaches, virtual reality, bullying and cyberbullying. Mm-hmm. So new topics that haven't been covered in the past that I think we're going to see moving forward in educational psychology. Mm-hmm. We have 
chapters that focus on philosophy, worldviews, and a variety of other topics that I think when brought together, get a better sense of the field as a whole. Mm-hmm. What was interesting to, to Paul and I in putting together the request for the chapters in terms of what we wanted individuals to focus on or the authors to focus on was just what research has been done over the past 10 years? What interventions do you see that are up and coming or the interventions that, if any, have been done? Talk about issues with regard to those interventions and focus potentially on both teaching and learning. And at no point did we ever say, look at issues of social justice, which ended up being quite a huge theme to us, which was surprising. And of course, many of these chapters were written through the pandemic. So that became an interesting theme as well. So these things that contextualized when the chapters were written, as well as what was happening in terms of George Floyd's death, a real push toward the anti-racist movements, the marches that were occurring across the world quite literally, I think had an impact and influence on some of the ideas that were brought forward in these chapters, which is really interesting to see. So it's a really unique historical time frame within which these chapters were written that I think will be different from any other handbook moving forward. And as you think about your roles as editors, how do you think that the times in which you were doing that work affected your approach to the handbook and editing the various chapters that you saw? That's a good question. One of the things that's interesting, and I was on several different projects during this time, a lot of books and things like that got postponed or Mm -hmm. they just stopped being written. But, and this is props to the authors, and hopefully we had some part of that as well. But in this case, we finished on time Mm. and as expected. And so I would like to think that it was maybe one of the things that was constant (laughs) during the pandemic, that (laughs) it was always there. And so maybe that was helpful, whereas everything else around us was changing and things were happening. Your handbook chapter was always there. (laughs) And so I think maybe in a weird way, it became a constant for myself, at least, and for the authors that went through the pandemic. I don't know if Krista has a thought on that. I think it's also really important to give a huge thank you to all of the authors because everyone worked so hard on each of the chapters. And Paul and I pushed (laughs) many times over, pushed everyone's ideas moving forward to break the barrier, to think more critically about the future of educational psychology. And I think that really helped to keep everything focused. And like Paul said, I think that was the constant. That was something people could go to in such a chaotic time because it was very challenging for many people. Many authors lost family members to the pandemic, so it was not an easy time for many people. But we have to say thank you again to all of the authors for all of their hard work because we really couldn't have done it without them. And, and they were always willing to participate in our challenges that Paul and I set forth for them. So, <laughs> Well, they were benevolent challenges, right? So <laughs> as, a, as one of the chapter authors, I can, I can attest that you, you pushed us, but in very productive and uh, I think beneficial ways. I know that our chapter got better the more times you laid eyes on it. So thank you. And thanks to the reviewers. And I, I think you're right. It, it was a difficult time and it was nice to have some things that felt kind of normal during the pandemic and submitting manuscripts and getting feedback and thinking about feedback are things that I did prior to the pandemic and we did during. And I think it helped me feel like, okay, there's there's something that still feels familiar here. So I think you're right about that. And, you know, we, we came 
to the end of this process and the handbook is coming out. And one of the things that you wrote in the first chapter of the handbook is that you said the state of educational psychology and learning and motivation scholars and their scholarship is strong. So I'm happy to hear that. I'm interested in you can elaborate a bit on that and tell us what kind of gave you that sense and, and what that means for you. Well, for me, and I think it goes back to the authors that we picked in the sense that many of these were mid-career folks and we wanted some fresh ideas. So I think this kind of goes back to their discussion right before this. I think one of the things that Krista and I stumbled onto partway through the review process was let's just ask the authors who would they most like to read their manuscript right now? And we asked for names and we went out and asked those people. And there were not a lot of those who said, no, we explained to the reviewer that this is a chapter and this person or these authors wanted you to look at it. Mm -hmm. And for the most part, they all agreed. And I thought it was helpful in terms of where the authors were at that particular point in time, but also leading them forward. And so in my mind, why I like where we're at is we see so many new scholars coming into EDP, and it's a more diverse group than what it used to be. It's not, you know, by any stretch of the imagination, diverse, mm -hmm. but it is more diverse than what it used mm -hmm. to be. And so that's what gives me this idea that we're in good shape moving forward. Mm -hmm. And I think to add to that, one of the things that both Paul and I noticed when these chapters were written is that authors were excited about the content and they really pushed their ideas. It wasn't just a regurgitation of what has been done in the past. Mm -hmm. These authors really did push the envelope. And I think to us, that was a good indication that people are still interested in educational psychology. They're interested in their topics. They're still passionate about what they're doing. And that I think is healthy for the field, that perspective. Mm -hmm. Yeah. One other thing there that I, I think we did was we asked them, you know, not as, as Krista said, not only to review what's happened, but think forward and, and think about the document you're creating as this is going to be a theoretical framework that I can build on in my own research, talking about the authors, for like the next five years. So don't just treat it as a review thing. Treat it as making it something that you can use as you move forward. Yeah, I, I really love how you've positioned the handbook to be both forward-looking, because it is, and you've, you've challenged the authors to, Paul, as you said, kind of think about what you need moving forward and where, where your particular area is headed. But it also does look back and does kind of try to understand the history and what's gone well and what we need to improve upon. And I'm curious, in the last chapter of the handbook, which you both co-wrote, the title is The Prejudiced Past and Progressive Future of Educational Psychology. And I thought you did a number of really interesting and important things in that chapter. Can you tell us a little bit about what you covered in that chapter and what you found? Sure. Really, the goal when we read the 29 chapters was to identify any themes throughout those chapters and to do a thematic analysis of the current chapters, taking into consideration the previous handbook, the suggestions that the authors of the afterward from the previous handbook had suggested, and again, examining the extent of their uptake in the current handbook, 
because the current handbook in those chapters did do some reflection of the past in terms of the research that has been done, but also where we're heading for the next five to 10 years. And through that analysis, it was easy to see many themes that were touched upon in each of those chapters. Obviously, not every single chapter had the same theme, but there were definite themes throughout each of the chapters that, again, Paul and I didn't suggest that authors look at, but they certainly came out in each of those chapters. Mm -hmm. So essentially, we found that many of the themes that we identified included a racist, gendered, and narrowed focus in the past that must change based on educational psychology being grounded in positivist or post-positivist approaches to doing research, Mm -hmm. that we need to move forward to look at new methods, quant crit, CRT, mixed methods, design-based methods, Mm -hmm. adopting different research methods and perspectives, more race-focused research, more race re-imaged research. For example, many of the chapters were suggesting that we can take different perspectives or different worldviews that we have largely ignored in the past. So moving from the prejudiced past forward to a more progressive future where educational psychology can be harnessed for the greater good was really a big theme that we identified across each of the 29 chapters Mm -hmm. that we thought was important to highlight in the last chapter, bringing it all together. And that's intentional. You didn't tell authors to write about those things, but I think your very wise choices of who you ask to be authors and the kinds of topics you ask them to explore and the kinds of questions you ask them surface those issues. And I'm so glad that you did because our field does need to spend a lot of time thinking about those issues, acting upon them, and understanding what has happened in the past and what needs to happen in the future. So I'm I'm really glad that you position the handbook that way. I think that was largely due to your leadership. And so I, I, I thank you for that. In addition, you, you talked about this need to better connect with educational practice. And you quoted David Berliner and other people, and I think, Paul, you might have mentioned this earlier, about how there's just this disconnect still between educational psychology research and educational practice. I mean, what can we do about that? How can we make a better connection and do more for the greater good, Krista, as you said? Well, I think one of the topics, and in fact, a new journal will be released hopefully by February of 2024, focusing on better communication between research and educational psychology and policy, better communication with educators, doing more work collaboratively with educators so that we can have more of an impact in the field, not only within educational psychology itself, but also to have some kind of an impact on educational practice because oftentimes we don't or we feel like we don't. And then that's part of moving forward our identity and who we are and where we want to be and where we want to go. I think as educational psychologists, we really should be doing research in the schools. And this is something that David Berliner has been speaking about since I believe the very first handbook. So mm-hmm. we really do need to start doing that. And I think our field needs to be more comfortable in working with others in policy, being able to translate our research into ways that can be integrated into classrooms in a meaningful way. And I think that's a big part of, of where we're headed. And hopefully with this new journal, that's going to help. Mm -hmm. Sorry, there's a little plug there for the journal. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. Well, 
also there's some university structural issues there that I think let's call them more experienced educational psychologists need to help junior faculty who want to do this to reimagine the reward structure, Mm -hmm. tenure and promotion and things like that. We come from sort of a, you know, published stuff in particular journals. But the work that we're talking about here is a little bit different and it has to be seen as being different. And so I think we as a ed psych community need to make sure that we are not just sort of recreating our own past, but also creating a future where those types of research are not only wanted, but rewarded within Mm -hmm. the university structure, which is not always the case. Yeah, and that's a really good point, Paul. You know, I think about in the past, I suspect that we have had aspiring educational psychologists who have wanted to work in policy or have an impact in classrooms, do research in classrooms, and want to do that work. But I, I think you're right. Some of the structures might have made it hard for them to feel like academia or the existing scholarship structures were a place where they could do that work and be successful. And I know that in our program, we have students and they bring in different perspectives, different voices and and what they want. They want to understand the past of the field and where it's been, but they also want to push it to a better future. And so changing those structures and providing them a sense of that past and a possible future through the handbook, I think is essential. And again, the handbook is just a wonderful opportunity to start those conversations and help these aspiring scholars kind of find their place. And hopefully that's a place that we can create for them. I'm interested also in the focus you had on the progressive inquiry methods. And Krista, you mentioned a bunch of them, design-based research and mixed methods, et cetera. So I think our listeners might benefit from hearing a little bit about what kinds of ideas about methods they might encounter in the handbook. Well, I think uh, read chapter three, inquiry, worldviews, approaches to research and mixed methods in educational psychology with Matt McCredden and David Rapp. They have a wonderful overview of the different kinds of mixed methods and approaches to research that are grounded in various epistemological and ontological views. I think that'll be a really important chapter in terms of methods. But there are a number of chapters that have actually touched on on methods. We see, again, critical race theory. There's a need for mixed methods that focus on critical race theory, quant crit, queer crit. There's a lot of chapters that talk about different methods and approaches. Gwen Marchand and Jonathan Hilpert have a chapter on complex system approaches There are Mm -hmm. other chapters on taking situative approaches. So lots of chapters within the handbook itself that focus on methods, more progressive methods, but also I think each of the chapters do touch on different methods that we can incorporate or include or modify as we move forward, more design-based approaches in Mm -hmm. each of those chapters at the end or even throughout, which I think will be really beneficial for readers. And again, that's an editorial choice. And I'm so glad that you two led this effort because you made choices to include those perspectives, those methods, those mechanics. And, and they are really important. They're the tools that we use to understand the world. And you've made decisions to really forefront and highlight those perspectives. And so I'm grateful for that. And I think 
again, people who are coming into the field who want to get a sense of, you know, what's happening and how do I do this work, that the handbook is just going to be a wonderful place for them to go to get a sense of that. So I think the whole field owes you a big debt of gratitude for all that you've done in the handbook. I think stepping up a level a little bit, do you have any advice for scholars that are hoping one day to write a chapter in the future handbook? Any tips or tricks or things that you saw that you think we might benefit from hearing? Handbook chapters are slightly different in this sense, but, you know, to me, being a scholar involves curiosity and persistence Mm -hmm. (laughs) and in, and in big measures, both Mm -hmm. of them. And so if you have that, then I think you're in good shape, but you have to know your area. You have to go deeper into things, you know, know your field and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But I'm not sure I have strategies. Kristen probably does, though. (laughs) I think it is a a difficult question to answer. I think Paul's right, though. Persistence. Persistence is really important because these are difficult chapters to write. We had a few individuals who completely revamped their chapter from the start to the second round, and that takes a lot of courage and that takes a lot of effort to do that. Mm -hmm. So when... Paul and I are pushing people, again, pushing the boundaries. You have to be prepared for that. You have to be able to take everything that is in the field and be able to put it into one chapter. So if you're like me and it's (laughs) you write way too much more than you really should, that might be a really challenging (laughs) task. But keeping it concise, condensed, it's, it's a very challenging thing to do. Because the chapters are different, it's not like there's an easy recipe, like a, an empirical piece. They're, mm-hmm. they're much like theoretical pieces in educational psychologists. They're not easy to write. I think they're the harder pieces to write. Mm-hmm. But it's that ability to think globally. It's that ability to think critically about the field, looking back mm-hmm. and moving forward where you want to take the field. It's a big task, but it's an important one. And I think a very rewarding one as well. Mm-hmm. I think one other thing I would add to that is Mm -hmm. your willingness to first understand the feedback you're getting from reviewers. Sometimes we start with, I don't agree with that, (laughs) prior to understanding what they're suggesting or acting. And I think if you can start from a position of understanding what they're asking you and how you're thinking about it. So that goes a long way. If you're resistant to ideas from the people you're asking feedback from, then that makes your task much harder. Yeah. And as as someone who struggles to write concisely, as as you both know, I appreciate, Krista, you sharing that <laughs> that uh, very human response with me because I, I had a, a challenge with that. And then, you know, being responsive to reviewers, I think it's very common for people to initially recoil a bit when a reviewer has, a, you know, a particularly pointed piece of criticism. But if it's directed at the work and it's meant to be benevolent, then I, Paul, I totally agree with you. It's important to be responsive and to think and And more times than not, reviewer comments make writing better. They certainly have for me. So those are all great pieces of advice. And you're right, writing chapters like this or articles for educational psychologists, it's not easy. There's no template, but it is really rewarding and important work. So again, 
thank you for leading this big effort. It's like a giant book of educational psychologist articles. So that's exciting. <laughs> and, you know, Paul, you mentioned persistence and curiosity in scholarship. So I wanted to shift for just a minute about what you two are working on right now and what's kind of piquing your curiosity and helping you be persistent. So, Krista, uh, why don't we start with you? What's something you're working on right now that you're really excited about? Well, Paul and I are actually working together on this. This kind of grew out of us working together on the handbook. And we really want to take my theoretical model looking at relations between epistemic cognition, self-regulated learning, and emotions, and race mm. re-image it and race focus that work. So we mm. just mm-hmm. submitted a grant together to move forward for the next five years to do precisely oh, wow. that. So that's Great. something that I'm really passionate about to actually do what we say you should be doing mm-hmm. in that thematic analysis of the handbook. And that's where we're at right now. We started doing a lot of reading over the summer, different perspectives, indigenous epistemologies, black epistemologies, a number mm-hmm. of different worldviews that have been largely ignored in educational psychology, trying to think about how to fit this all together and fit it in. So looking at collective ways of knowing, thinking about cultural context, thinking about how context can influence or guide the ways in which people interpret emotions. So we may have this emotional experience, but how we interpret that experience may be different from one culture to the next, may be different from one race to the next. And so that's something that we're doing now, and we'll be integrating that into all of the different empirical studies that I typically conduct and mm-hmm. really focusing on race reimaging and race focusing our work. That's amazing. What, what an exciting project. I hope that you get funded. You really, uh, you really walk in the walk there. Good for you. <laughs> Thank you. Great. So Paul, that, that's exciting. I, I mean, you know, maybe that's your exciting thing too, but if you have anything you want to add, please do. Yeah. I'm really interested in that project. Uh, I have several other things going, uh, different chapters and articles and things like that. I've been working with Ji Hong and Dion Cross Francis on several projects related to multiple marginalized teacher identity. Mm-hmm. And I'm working on a handbook chapter with Sanja on mentoring mm-hmm. minoritized doctoral students. So mm. we've, I've been reading a lot on that and that's what I'm doing today. So if you ask me tomorrow, it'll be, I'll be reading something else, but today I'm reading <laughs> that stuff. So, But uh, yeah, those are the things that right now are piquing my interest. But if you have any of that North Carolina university money that you can throw in on uh, Christian <laughs> Farrar, that would be, that would be useful. <laughs> I'll, I'll call all my big wig contacts. At the university all right. Excellent. Yeah. yeah. They, they, they take my calls. Don't worry. <laughs> so, as we wrap up, you know, it sounds like you had a lot of people helping you and a lot of people contributing to the handbook. And I'm just so impressed at the group of people that came together to make this happen. Any final thoughts about the the whole process and, and working with so many people? Well, I would like to send out a, a thanks to Lynn Corno and Eric Anderman. Once we got the okay that we would be the editors, they basically threw open their files and sent us everything that we asked for. So that was very helpful in terms of getting us off and running in the right track. And so a big thanks to them as being part of the handbook editors group. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And we will be the same handbook editors for the fifth edition. So 
Great. Well, that's wonderful. And that kind of generosity and support is is wonderful to see, wonderful to model. And thank you for being willing to, to pay it forward. So that's probably a great place to wrap it up for today. I encourage everyone listening to this to check out the new fourth edition of the Handbook of Educational Psychology published by Rutledge and be available starting on October 27th, 2023, available for pre-order now if you're interested. And again, co-edited by Krista Muse and Paul Schutz. So Krista and Paul, again, thank you so much for your hard work on the handbook. And thanks a lot for talking to me about it today. Thank you so much. Thanks, Jeff. Finally, to you, our listener, if you enjoyed this podcast, please check out our other episodes on your favorite podcast app and consider rating and reviewing us. You can also go to the APA Division 15 website where there's all of our podcasts. They're all linked in the publication section. I hope that you enjoy them. Thank you again for listening. Thank you.